Welcome to HOWC Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. There was a weekend where things were very, very busy and Pastor Daniel had a lot of uh, death calls that night and he was out all night and so I said, um, I don't, he, we don't ever discuss the word, you know, what the Lord gives him or when. So sometimes he gets it early in the week. Sometimes he doesn't get it till the night before, sometimes not the morning. And I didn't know if he had a word and I didn't know with him being out all night, I didn't want him to be rushed in the morning to try to grab something. So I said, well, I'm going to seek the Lord and have a word just in case. And so I did and I, I got this word. Well, the next morning I asked him, if you got a word? Oh yeah. And he did. It was a powerful word for Father's Day. Very good good sermon. If you missed it, I suggest you go back on the YouTube and watch it. It was, it was a good word. So it wasn't for then. Then the next weekend, Pastor Daniel got sick. I said, oh, it's, it's for right now. He's, he's sick. It's for today. Then like an hour later, I got it too. So it's like, nope, it's not today. <laughs> not today. And so then mama preached and daddy and, and they had a powerful move of God, powerful service. And you know, at this point you kind of think, I think I was probably in the flesh because obviously God don't want me to preach this message. And then, you know, pull forward a couple of weeks, and um, then we had Farrell come to speak, and so he had a word for, for last Sunday, um, and it was a good word from the Lord. And then Pastor Daniel and I were talking about a few things through the week, and it just kept coming up. This message kept coming up. And all through that time, you know, when you think you're ready, oh, Holy Spirit's preaching now. When you think you're ready to release the word, oh, God's going to use this one. This is going to be good. And, and, but you're not ready. It's not ready. Because you haven't gone through the experiences that will help you to really grasp the message so that you can rightly deliver it. So all through this time where I'm having all these setbacks and it's not time to release the word, I'm getting more revelation on the word. And it keeps coming forth and then I'll hear a Wilkerson sermon here and it's like, oh, that's the same message. Oh, oh, yep, we need a, we need a, Make that point too. That's good. That's part in it. Then you experience something. Then you have to correct someone. Then you have to be corrected by someone. And all of these things are all playing in. And then you get a text message from a, a congregation member from what they're going through. And it's all weaving into the message. We think we're ready right whenever we get the first inclination that God wants to move or do something or use us. But you got to be willing to follow the Holy Spirit and not become so arrogant that you put yourself out there and miss the experience that's really going to reveal the real depth of the message so that you can deliver it without misrepresenting the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, that is the message. So he always demonstrates. (laughs) Paul said that the word of God and the kingdom of God has not come in word only, but in power and in demonstration. That means you don't just get up and say a bunch of words and make a bunch of proclamations and expect something to happen. you got to be willing to be obedient to follow Jesus into that wilderness so that you can come out of it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's willing to demonstrate the message. Now, through the middle of all of that, I got sick. Daddy almost died a few times. We were in the hospital. In fact, the doctors at one point said that, you know, he had pneumonia. The medicine wasn't working. His heart was too weak. That mama, he told the doctor, took mom outside and said, you need to prepare that he's not coming through this and call the family in because he's not going to make it. The medicine's not working. His heart's too weak. Can't happen. So she texted us all what they said. Okay, we come and we started praying. By the time we got there, He's sitting up in the chair wanting Danny to go run all over Ellick and find him some fried chicken. So God is good. God is faithful. Sent Danny on a, all the time, sent Danny on a wild goose chase for fried chicken all over Alexandria. He made the comment, we were talking about a movie that was coming out. He said, I went from planning my funeral to planning a movie. To go see a movie. God will move like that. But in the middle of all this message, there's all these valleys and trials and tribulations and testings of faith, and they all have a purpose to bring you through to the end so that what I deliver to you is not empty words, but it is experience. And it will not benefit just us or just me or just the one that was originally blessed by it, but it will bless everyone. 
So what I have is not a preach. Y'all know that. Pastor Daniel is the preacher. He's the jumping the altar and... Come on, preach and shout. Come on now. Right. Making, making Corey work out with the camera. I'm not... Preachers proclaim it and teachers tell it. Preachers yell it and teachers tell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preachers yell it and teachers tell it. <clears throat> this is a word. So I don't think I'll be moving a whole lot, Corey. I'll probably be reading a lot. Because I want to deliver this to whoever this is for. Because a lot of the trials that we have been through was to deliver this word. So I want it to come forth the way the Lord wants it. So listen, you might not get a lot of entertainment. But if you're hungry, you'll get some encouragement and some revelation. I'm going to bring you through a process that happened in the scriptures, and it happens to all of us. We all love the Jeremiah 29:11 promise. We like to put it on a plaque in our house, put it on our t-shirts, put it on a bookmark. Yay, for I know, says the Lord, the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Some translations say to prosper you. In the end. That sounds really good. Sounds good. I like that. That's all anybody ever reads. All right. Most, <laughs> most people. They don't understand that that was a word of encouragement from God to help sustain them through a very long 70-year right, trial. A wilderness, a stripping. If you're gonna, We're going to read a little bit through the chapter so that you can see. God's promises are amazing. They're usually not one-liners. All right, all right. We like to make them one-liners. But that's where people get confused, and that's where people get discouraged. Mm. Because they think, oh, it must not be for me. It must not be working for me. Why am I in this will? Why am I a captive in Babylon? I thought he said his plans for me were good. All right. Obviously, I did something wrong. Obviously, he doesn't want me. Obviously, he doesn't love me. I guess I don't have enough faith. I give up. This doesn't make sense to me. It's not working. No, it works. Know the word. Amen. Read the context. Get the whole message and follow him through the experience. Today's message is redemption through affliction. Verse 12. Then shall they call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. I was praying one time and I kept getting distracted and the Lord kind of snapped at me. And he said, if you can't give me your undivided attention, it's because your heart's divided. What is pulling at your spirit? Sometimes our hardships come to snap us out of the distractions and all of the things that the world sends to keep us from being fully focused. On God, And that was the one part of the, the case with Israel here. He's giving them this promise, but he's saying it's not coming until after you get to the point where you're willing to cry out to me with all of your heart. All right. So we're going to have to go through some stuff first. The true context of the beloved Jeremiah 29, 11 verse is that of hardship with purpose coupled with promise and followed by submission to the conditions for receiving that promise. As we continue to read, we begin to see that through this uncomfortable situation, as the desperation of it forced the Israelites into prayer, seeking, and a true deep relationship with God, they began to serve God mightily in ways that they otherwise would not have been pushed to attain, all while being protected from the destruction that they would have faced had they remained where they were and like they were. So, whenever the doctors said what they said, and we all went to the hospital, what happened? There was some praying, there was some breakthrough, there was some humbling. In fact, one of the scriptures when I prayed before we left, God gave me a scripture where he says to one of the kings that he would turn this thing around because of their humbling themselves before him and praying. And I thought, well, God, I don't know how more to humble, but I know this. David said, I humble myself with prayer and fasting, so I'm going to commit to fast. And then I committed to it, and we prayed, and when we got there, there was breakthrough. So when you cry, when you pray with all of your heart, when you really press in and press through and you see the breakthrough, God's trying to teach you something. 
God waited. God could have prevented the sickness. God could have prevented all of it. God could have healed him in an instant the first time we prayed. Don't you think we prayed from the beginning? But God wants you to remember that it takes a fervency. It takes a commitment. It takes a humbling. It takes a fasting, he says, in many situations. And it takes you recognizing that only he can do it and not anything else. What he waited for was for the doctors to say, the medicine can't do it. All right, all right. And we can't do it. All right. Then God said, now pray so that I get the credit, and I will do it. Now, had we not fasted and prayed, we could say, oh, well, maybe the medicine started working. No, God did it, and we will give God the glory for it. Which we've seen him do time and time and time again. He is faithful, but he does things for a reason. Because there's a message and a lesson in it. Verse 14, he continues to tell them, this is Jeremiah speaking this prophecy to the children of Israel. And God says through him, I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity and I will gather you from all nations, from all the places whether I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive because ye have said, The Lord hath raised us up, prophets in Babylon. Know that thus saith the Lord of the king that sitteth upon the throne of David, and of all the people that dwelleth in this city, and of your brethren that are gone, that are not gone forth out with you into captivity. So for those who in their pride thought, no, I'm just going to imagine that God wants me to stay here because that's what makes sense or that's what feels right to me. I didn't seek him in here and get instruction and do this humble thing because who wants to go into captivity? Who wants to believe that God's bringing you into a wilderness? No, God will deliver me. It says of those that thought like that, thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will send upon them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that cannot be eaten, for they are so evil. In other words, rotten figs that are not good for anything. Mm. The things that, they w- that this hardship would have actually pulled them away from and taught them would have been a protection for them. But they trusted in their own logic and understanding instead of following God through the experience. Now, one of the reasons I didn't deliver this message when it was first given was because I had not yet gone through the experience. I couldn't give you this example and testimony about what happened with Daddy and the sickness. So God has a reason. He has a timing. He has a season. Trust him even if it doesn't make sense in the moment. Because what he wants to do through you is not just for you, but to bless others and to teach them. What God was really saying in the Jeremiah 29, 11 promise is basically this. I know what I'm doing. And even if you think that I have abandoned you, and this is a word for some of you here because you're going through this same type of experience God's saying, you might think that I have abandoned you or turned on you in the midst of your trials, hardships, heartaches, uncomfortable and unpleasant situations. But the truth is that I am truly for you in this and not against you. All that I am doing is to bring you to the end that I have planned for you. And it is good. What God has for you is good. And he's letting you know in advance, sorry, If this is a prophetic word, I hope this is a word for people coming out of the wilderness to help you understand what you've been through. I hope this isn't a prophetic word about to go into captivity in Babylon to give you encouragement that there's a reason for it. Don't think that God is against you. Don't think he's abandoned you. Don't think he's given up on you. Don't think he's looking for somebody else. Actuality, the truth is that he wouldn't leave you behind. He was pursuing you and preparing you for the promise, for the destiny, for the plan that he has for you. And it takes some stripping, it takes some equipping, it takes some ability to use someone to bring them through the process to deliver the proper message. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? All right. It says we have this example in Christ that he was willing to humble himself even unto the cross because there was a message and a work to be done and he had to trust God to do it through him. And now we can understand a lot of what God was really doing because of what Jesus was willing to endure and he expects the same from us because it is his spirit working through us that will do the exact same work. These people, these Israelites, were about to be taken captive in Babylon for 70 years. There was going to be a war. 
Some that were going to fight against this and try to prevent themselves from being taken captive would have, were going to be destroyed. That's right. Because in their pride, they thought, no, God would never let this happen. God will save us. We are the chosen ones. He would never let something like this happen to us. And they got killed or they died by pestilence or starvation. Mm. But the ones that understood God is doing something, God wants to bring revival, but he can't bring it in this present church system. They're too selfish. All right, now. All right. I have to humble them. I have to strip them. Let me show them. They have been evil taskmasters. How am I going to fix this? I'm going to teach them what it's like to be under evil taskmasters. All right. All right. And they're going to come, and I'm going to use those. And look, maybe you were doing right. Maybe you were the remnant. Maybe you were one of the few, and you weren't in this, this messed up system, this right. misrepresentation of the church. It's okay. You're going with them because I'm going to use you as prophets in the midst of Babylon. Not only are you going to be a blessing to your brethren, but you're also going to turn some of the Babylonians. All right. You're going to be a witness. Amen. But while Jeremiah is giving these prophecies, the false prophets kept rejecting it, mm. telling the people that they would overcome these Babylonians while Jeremiah was telling them that their nation was going to fall to them, that it was God's will and it was God's plan, and that there was nothing that they could do at this point to stop it because that they had refused to repent when he gave them space for it previously. They had been prideful, selfish, stubborn, and hard-hearted, so now God was going to use a captivity to humble them, to strip them of their entitlement, their selfishness, their desire for vainglory. What happens in Babylon? What do we get in Babylon They go into Babylon, their 70 years of captivity, some of the greatest stories of faith, I won't even say stories, the greatest witnesses, examples of faith that we have that are encouraging us even to this day and will until the very return of Christ came from those who were in Babylon at this time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right. Thrown into the furnace. The what? The furnace of affliction. Their experience was a representation of what the whole nation was going through. But guess what? They got closer to Jesus in there than they ever would have had they stayed in in their little comfortable church back home in Jerusalem. The fourth man in the fire was with them. That that brought a blessing not just for the Israelites who would have been in Israel, but it brought a blessing to the Babylonians because it says the whole nation worshiped God because of what happened there. All of these people, and these were like kids. These kids were were somewhere between 12 and 17 years old. So these were young kids that were captives in Babylon at this time. They were willing to be a light and an example. Now get this, not only did it bless them, not only does it bless us still now, but I always think in the end, the Bible talks about a time of tribulation when the wrath of the Antichrist comes against the Christians in the church. But then after that, there's a time of the wrath of God that comes upon the earth against the wicked ones. We are protected. If you are in right standing with God at that time, it says the whole world will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. There will be fire and hell and brimstone. It says the saints will be heard singing in the fires and they will not be hurt. What do you think is going to encourage those Christians leading up to that moment? They're going to be remembering Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how God was with them in the fires and they weren't hurt. What these children were willing to experience was to deliver a message that would transcend whole dispensation sensations because Nebuchadnezzar, the king at the time, was an archetype for the Antichrist. He tells these, when Daniel goes to pray, and, and he tells him that you have to pray to this idol, you have to bow, you can't pray to anyone but me. But in this story, we see King Nebuchadnezzar who resurrects this uh, statue. He says, everyone has to come and worship this statue. And if you don't, you will be killed. All right. It's an image. The Bible said that in the last days, the Antichrist will cause people to worship his image. And if you don't, you will be killed. So everything that happens in this story is to give them an experience so that they can then deliver the right message. 
not only for them, but for everyone, for all dispensations. And it's going to be a great encouragement for those who are facing the Antichrist who can say, you know what, just like Daniel, Daniel was in Babylon. They're all part of the ones who who went and was obedient or the children of those who went and were obedient. And these messages were delivered through them, through their experience. Now, had the false prophets been right, right. who said in the beginning to the people, oh, no, no, you're God's people. You you don't have to go through anything. You're going to be delivered. We wouldn't have any of this. We wouldn't have any of the encouragement that we need, but also that the children of those that are going to be facing the Antichrist are going to need. They need that encouragement. Amen. We need that encouragement. That's right. Thank God for those who were willing to go through the experience even though it was difficult. Mm. That we could have this message. That we can preach it for generations. So, who had more faith? The ones who were claiming, no, I have faith for God to deliver me, so I'm going to stay here. Or the ones who had faith to say... I've heard the word of the Lord through these prophets and I'm going to obey even though it's difficult and I'm going to go into captivity. I'm going to go through this wilderness. I'm going to endure this hardship and I'm going to let him produce a message through me. You see, the thing about faith that people don't understand nowadays is that faith is not just believing because you can believe anything. I can believe in the tooth fairy. It's not going to save me. That's right. And believing in my belief enough to believe that something is going to happen is not faith in God. That's faith in myself. That is antichrist. It's satanic. Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith, true faith that saves is believing what God says. So you have to take the time to seek him, to hear from him. Not from men, not from opinions, not from demons, not from doctrines, not from books and YouTube philosophies. And like I like to say, the the Facebook meme Christianity (laughs) that has no basis in the scripture and, and the truth you got to sit with the Holy Spirit and with the Bible and with the Word of God and see what God really wants to tell you. Amen. And when he speaks, listen, obey it, follow its leading. And he's going to usually ask you to do hard things. But there's a purpose in it. Right. There's a purpose in it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the afflictions. Jesus was with them. They became witnesses. They delivered faith and strength to not only themselves, but others through them. Daniel in the lion's den, again, was in Babylon. All that happened in Babylon was not just to humble the Israelites, which it was, but it was also to save the Babylonians. What you go through is not just to humble you, but it's to help to bless somebody else through you. If we avoid every trial that comes our way, we're not going to be humbled. If God healed us and delivered us from every single thing that ever comes our way, you know what? We would be spoiled, selfish, entitled children. That's what the Israelites were. That was the problem. But also we would never have anything to offer to anyone else who's going through hardships, trials, and tribulations. What are you going to tell them? I guess God just doesn't like you. I don't go through anything like that. All right, right. No, in actuality, if you're not going through anything, then it's probably an indication that you're not even in the kingdom because this is a war. All right. There's a fight on. There is an enemy. It's not going to always be easy. Are you going to send somebody into a battle that has never been taught, tried, or tested, that has never been in, in training? God said, I'm going to send you as... Prophets in the midst of Babylon. What, what do prophets do? Prophets speak for God. Not for God, but he, they allow God's words to speak through them. A lot of people speak for God, and it's not really what God's saying. They, they just speak things and say God's saying it. But whenever you allow the Holy Spirit to speak something through you and deliver a message, that is prophecy. So it wasn't just for them. It was for the Babylonians who could not hear God and had no connection to him. Sometimes you go into hard situations just to put you somewhere where somebody needs to hear something from God who can't hear for themselves. And you or normally wouldn't even be there. You know what's interesting? Y'all remember a few months back when Ashley got sick mysteriously and couldn't figure out what the problem was. 
and we ended up in the hospital, me and her. And when we were in the hospital, we were praying. I tell y'all, they kept constantly having um, these calls for sepsis constantly. Like every five minutes, they were having codes for sepsis. So we prayed. We, at a certain point, we were just like, look, we have been in here long enough. They're not finding anything. It's time to go. Obviously, God is sending us in here to pray for something. So right. we bound the, the devil. We rebuked him. We rebuked the spirit of death. We sh- From that moment on, there were no more calls for sepsis. We were there for another day and a half, and finally they let us out. There was nothing else in there. So we're like, praise the Lord. He sent us in here to shut up this spirit of death, this sickness. Well, here's the crazy thing. A month later, when daddy gets sick, he goes to the hospital. Guess what room he's in? The exact same room. When the doctors are saying he's going to die. Oh, no, that's okay. Me and Ashley shut up the spirit of death in this room a month ago. It ain't coming in. All right now. All right. Sometimes God puts you in a situation because he wants to use you. And if we had not, if he had just healed her instantly and we had not experienced that. Now, God can do all these things, but God doesn't get the glory. If he just heals everything instantly and moves everything instantly, then there's no lesson learned. There's no faith build. You're not learning how to fight the fight. Her faith was, I'm sure, built by that experience that day. And so when I'm dead and gone, she's going to still remember that and probably teach it to her kids and nieces and nephews. There's a reason that you're going through things. And it's not always because you didn't have enough faith. Sometimes it's because God knew he could trust you because you do have faith. That's it. Holy Spirit, can you repeat that last part? (laughs) Sometimes what you're going through is not because you don't have enough faith, but it's because God knows he can trust you because you do have enough faith to do it. We prayed for their deliverance. We were prophets in the midst of Babylon. We prayed for the other people's deliverance. And they received it. And we were also blessed by it. This is part of the purpose in your trials and tribulations. It's a humbling. It's a stripping. It's to make you selfless. Remember, Jesus prayed for his persecutors when he was on the cross. Amen. Paul prayed for his jailer when he was in jail. Yeah. The Jewish disciples witnessed to their Roman captors. This was the part of the reason for their captivity, their their persecution, was to put them in a position to be able to witness to the oppression. God always wants us to try to reach those who oppress us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, it says, But I say unto you, Jesus speaking, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be called the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you only, where is your reward? Do not even the publicans do the same. If you salute your brother only, then what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans do so. But you rather be perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. In all of this situation, in all of this sickness, when daddy was in the hospital and all of these miracles that were happening, his doctor was a Muslim Mm. who got to see the glory and the power of the name of Jesus. There's a reason. You're always there to be a witness. Prophets in the midst of Babylon. He says that this this is an example of good fruit of being perfected. When the Bible talks about being perfect, it's talking about perfect love. If you will do what is selfless, because true love is selfless, there is a fake love that is selfish, that's not agape, that's not a real love, that's a worldly love. But if you are selfless, you produce the fruit. That is a godly fruit. It's about the character that God is trying to produce and trying to present through you so that it can be reproduced. What is the fruit? It's the reproduction of the tree. God can give us all gifts, but he's not so concerned about that. He would rather give you fruits so that you can rightly use the gifts that he gives you. In fact, the devil and the Antichrist spirit, it says, will move in signs and lying wonders. The devil is more than glad to do a few miracles here or there if it will validate a lie. All right. That's why he says signs and lying wonders. They are miracles to validate a lie. God wants to validate the truth through you, but he wants to do it in good character. 
because that's what really changes things. That's what really changes people. When I look back over my life in church, I don't remember all of the miracles, which there have been many. My grandfather founded the church. My dad pastored. I've been here, you know, since, like Daddy says, since I'm born. But we've been here over 50 years, and there have been countless numbers of miracles. People healed, healed from their deathbeds. People raised from the dead. We have seen God do miracle after miracle. But those are not the things that I think of when I think of the, the churches, you know, the people throughout the years and what was the most impactful. What do you think of? The ones who had godly character. Mm. The ones who stuck it out and were humble and never caused a problem. All right, now. The ones that were always there to give you a hug or give you some counsel. The ones that were always there to help when others wanted to be seen and get attention. And they just wanted to do what they could for the kingdom. That's what you remember. The character. And that's what needs to be reproduced. Not this celebrity Christianity that is actually more anti-Christ than anything because it says, come and worship me. The Bible says the Antichrist will put himself in the house of God wanting to be worshipped as God. That's, right. That's, right. That's an Antichrist spirit that wants attention. We have to be willing to go through whatever it takes to produce the fruits of the Spirit. And if some humbling and some stripping and some difficult situations is what it takes to do that. I don't think there's any person here that wouldn't say, God, you know what, I don't want this nation to have to go through hard times, but if that's what it takes right. for my children to be saved right. and to not fall into error and go to hell comfortable, mm. then God, your will be done. Amen. And that's the heart of a true Christian. We don't always need to be delivered from everything in the moment. Sometimes we need to be willing to be a demonstration through the trial so that others can be delivered on the other side of it. Amen. Good. Amen. The kids, think about it, this prophecy given in Jeremiah 29, 11. These people have to go into captivity. They don't know what to expect. They go in. The kids that are raised in there are the Daniels, the Shadrach, the Meshachs, and the Abednegoes. They are the Ezra's and the Nehemiah's. Many of the other stories that we read through Scripture had their root, their, their origin in this captivity. It was for the generations. It wasn't just for them. Seventy years later, they are returned by God back into their land. And then God fulfills the Jeremiah 29, 11 promise. This is what we read of in Nehemiah chapter 9. We're not going to read it, but if you want to, you can take notes and go read it. So after 70 years in Babylon in captivity, uh, God puts it on the heart of the king to give resources and the things that were needed to send Nehemiah and Ezra back into Israel to rebuild the walls and the temples and to bring uh, the worship of God back to Israel. So God restores it after the work of the wilderness has been done. In this um, Nehemiah chapter 9, you can kind of read through it, but they are reminded of God's faithfulness and his victories. They are reminded of their blessings when they trusted God and followed him. They are reminded of their trials when they strayed from his presence and from obedience, which again is a reminder of his faithfulness. He means what he says mm -hmm. in promises and in judgment, Amen. and he is faithful. Yet his desire is always revival. Mm. Because what happened is after the 70 years, they go back in and they have the revival that God wanted to give them before the captivity, but he couldn't because they weren't rightly representing him. They were, they were selfish. They were cruel. They had become hard-hearted. They were prideful. They were entitled. So he had to strip them. And then he sends them back in. And now they're humble enough to open the word and read it and believe it and repent. And now they have revival that lasts for generations. I, I always think it interesting. We love the miracle manifestations. I'm not speaking down for that. We see it all the time. God is faithful. But I always think about Elijah when he called the fire down from heaven. Such a miracle manifestation. Yep. Everything is wet. They pour all this water and he, he prays and God sends fire down and lights up the sacrifice so that they can see that this is really God. And all the people are saying, oh, this is the God of Elijah. And they stop worshiping Baal and they start worshiping Elijah, uh, the God of Elijah. And like 
Three verses later, they're back to worshiping Baal. That's because if your faith is based in a manifestation, you're going to just follow the next manifestation. Wow, that's good. But in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they brought the word of God. They brought them back to the truth and gave people opportunity to come into alignment with the word of God. And when they saw that they were wrong and how they had been deceived, then they repented and the, the, the truth that was put in them not only delivered them, but kept them delivered for several generations. So the manifestations have their purpose. They have their reason to get the attention of the lost and shake them up. But if you don't give them the word of God, they're going right. to just be deceived again. All right. Because the whole point of deliverance is bringing a person out of agreement with the enemy or the lies of Satan and into agreement with the truth of God. We, we do a lot of deliverance ministry. And I told them years ago, I'm, I'm not about going all over the place and spending hours casting demons out of somebody just to leave and have them come right back in all when right. we leave because they're still in agreement with the same sins and things that gave it access in the first all place. Right. Right. If you really want deliverance, then you're going to have to come and sit and learn, do some 120-day podcast with us or go through some teachings that will teach you where the agreement is, where the problem is, where you're off track so that when you get delivered, you don't let it back in because we can rebuke, but then it's your job to resist. The Bible says, resist the devil, submit yourself to God and the devil will flee. If you're not willing to submit to the truth, then I'm not wasting my time and energy coming to rebuke because it's only going to come back and it's going to be worse for you. When you cast it out, it says if it comes back, it's worse in the end because here's the problem. Some people want deliverance and praise God, we are here for them. Some people don't really want to leave Egypt. They just don't want to be a slave in Egypt. Mm. They still want to stay in Egypt, but they they, they want you to free them from Pharaoh. But they don't want to get out of Egypt. They want to stay in Egypt and try to overthrow Pharaoh so that they can think they have authority over Pharaoh and get all the the things of Egypt. No. Moses, who could have been Pharaoh, Moses, who could have, Led, led Egypt. The Bible says that he esteemed the sufferings of Christ greater of greater yes. riches yes. than all the things of Egypt. That's right. So, for everyone who's trying to be like the world to save the world, why didn't God just let Moses be like Egypt to save Egypt? God wanted him out of Egypt. He didn't want him to build another pyramid. He didn't want the revival to be another celebrity, you know, barroom show like most of it is. He wanted to show him something different. He took him out in the wilderness and made him build a tent. And so that's why God strips. That's why God brings us out of where we've been. Amen. Because really, ultimately, the goal is revival. But he wants it purified. He wants it done right. They restored the pure word of God to a generation removed the mixture, and caused them to accept the simple. That's what happened in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. We see this example played out again in a different story. We see it all through scriptures. I'm just going to give you a quick little uh, example. Manasseh was one of the, was a son of, of Hezekiah. We know the story of Hezekiah. God used him mightily. He stood against the enemy. He proclaimed God's word. He prayed. He, he turned the people towards God and towards the word, and God sent an angel to defend him, to kill the enemy. Oh, such great deliverance came through the godly king Hezekiah. He has a son. His son goes back to doing the same wicked things that were done generations before. So what does God do? God allows him to be taken captive by the enemy, to go through some trials and some tribulations. I'm giving you some different examples. I've been talking to you about how how the reasons that we go through difficult things. Sometimes it's because God trusts you to have a, a great testimony and he needs to use you to teach some people something. Sometimes it's because we've strayed and he's not willing to let you go. So he comes and he brings you into some things to to help to deal with you and and bring you back to a place where you're willing to to cry out to him. That's what happened with Manasseh in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 10. This was the conclusion of the matter with Manasseh. He went into captivity. He was used and abused and he cried out to the Lord and repented and then God restored him. Just like you see happening with Israel as a whole. So it says, and the Lord spoke to Manasseh 
and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the kings of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns, and bound him with fetters, and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, in affliction, his redemption came through his affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord that he was God. Hezekiah was a godly king. He was connected to heaven. His son went into rebellion. Right. So his son got the Holy Ghost miserables put on him <laughs> until he got brought back right. to redemption. Some of the trials that you're going through is because you got to pray in grandma or grandpa or parent. And God, and then they petitioned heaven enough to where God's willing to take you to the woodshed right. until you get back right because All he right. doesn't want to let you go. It's Amen. still an act of love. Paul was imprisoned. At the time of Paul's imprisonment, people actually were preaching that he had fallen and that God had abandoned him and because that's why he was going through these hardships and that he obviously was doing something wrong and God had given up on him, so that's why he was in prison. What did Paul say to this? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Some indeed do preach Christ, even of envy and of strife. He said, some are preaching just to be able to preach against me because they're jealous. And some also of goodwill. The one preacheth Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bond. He said, some are preaching Jesus just to try to get at me, to try to hurt me even more. But others of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So he's saying, it doesn't matter to me that some are preaching that I'm terrible and that some are preaching that I did good. As long as they preach Jesus, it doesn't matter how they represent me. But as for me, in my imprisonment, in my affliction, it has set me up to be able to preach a defense of the gospel. Why? Because all the more it could be said that even in his trial and his affliction, even while the churches that he built and planted turned on him, he continued to worship God. He continued to have the right demonstration. He continued to preach the right message. He kept his faith through every situation. He says, so I am set up because of this to be able to deliver the gospel in a way that people can believe it. Because it wasn't just in the miracle, but it was in the bondage that God was with me, that God was my deliverer, that I didn't have to fall back to the world. They could say, oh, well, yeah, things are good. People are, are, are honoring him. He, these miracles are happening. Of course, he's going to repeat this message. But you know what? To this day, the one major factor that proves the validity of the gospel of the early church, that these apostles were not making up what they witnessed through Christ and the, the resurrection, is the things that they suffered, their persecution, how much they were tortured, and they never recounted their witness. That is the greatest defense of the, the gospel, even to this day. Even atheists will tell you it's kind of hard to believe they were making it up with all the torture that they went through, that they never changed their story. Amen. That is a defense of the gospel. And that's what Paul said his trials gave him. He said that because of the affliction that he was going through, that now he was set up for the defense of the gospel to keep his faith through his Gethsemanes, enduring through the trials had set him up to defend the validity of the gospel, that it could carry him through not just the good times and the miracles, but the hard times, the disappointments, the prunings, the Gethsemanes, the trials. Even John the Baptist questioned in his moment of feeling abandoned. So when you're going through things and you start to question, God understands that. All right. God, did I mess up? God, are you with me? God, and it's good. Hey, if we're going through something, the first thing I do is, God, did I get off track? God, did I mess up? Because we know he does catch our attention like that. But sometimes he'll tell you, no, you just don't understand what I'm doing. Trust me, that's what happened with John the Baptist. I got to do something. God knew the end from the beginning. He knows what he's doing. Trust him. It may be that he is trusting you with a greater testimony than most can carry. 
Anyone can glorify God in a moment of miracles, but only the strongest can glorify God in a moment of trial, sickness, disappointment, loss, or hardship. Is your reaction in these situations preaching Christ? Is his example shining in your life? We need to be like the three Hebrew boys in the fire in Babylon who said, we know that our God can deliver. But even if he doesn't, we know that God can heal. But even if he doesn't, we know that God can perform a miracle. But even if he doesn't, I know that God can give me this money or this job or whatever this thing is that I need. But even if he doesn't, I know God can give me favor in this situation. But even if he doesn't, I'm not disappointed. Or for John the Baptist, I know God can get me out of this prison cell. But even if he doesn't, what did Jesus answer? Blessed are those who are not disappointed in me. If we can go through these things without changing sides, if we can still love him and trust his wisdom, that he knows what he is doing, that he has a purpose, and keep praising through it, that's a testimony that will carry people through anything. God is more concerned with giving you fruits than gifts. The trials, the prunings, they are making you to produce fruit. Because you can have gifts and still go to hell. The Bible says that the gifts and callings are without repentance. Jesus said you can prophesy and cast out devils and do many wonderful works in my name. But when you get to heaven, God will say, depart from me. You're still working iniquity. I never knew you. Gifts aren't going to get you into heaven. But those who produce the fruits of the Spirit are the fruitful trees, bearing Christ's character. What are the fruits of the Spirit? They're Christ's character. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, patience, self-control. That's the more important thing. Those are the ones that Jesus said will be gathered into the master's barn, while the others are cast into the fire. So don't believe the lie that the trials and tribulations are not for Christians. Because God loves his children enough to do whatever he must to produce the right fruits in them that assure that they actually make it in. He wants you to be ready to possess the promise, not just get to it. So trust the process. It's for your best. He wants you blessed. Remember the Beatitudes? We're not going to read them. Go read through them. Jesus gives us, the, the we call them the Beatitudes, the things that bless you. They are not the things that most church preaches. There's nothing in there about getting a bunch of money or getting a car or getting the right girlfriend or boyfriend. The Beatitudes say what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those when you are persecuted. Blessed are those who go through trial and tribulation and endure it because you're building up rewards in heaven if you respond to it correctly. If you think about it, everything in the Beatitudes is something that's meant to humble you. And I always say this, God will never humble you. It says all through scripture, humble thyself, humble thyself, humble thyself. This is your choice. You can say, God, humble me. This is what God will do for you. God will humiliate you. Then it will be your choice to humble or harden. Pharaoh chose to harden. Right? Moses chose to humble. Your choice is to humble. And these these situations in the Beatitudes are all things that will give you the opportunity to choose to be humbled, but you can make a choice to be hardened. But be humbled, respond correctly, and you will be blessed, not just in this life, but eternally. That's what the trials and tribulations are for. Don't try to miss them. Don't try to escape them. Don't try to prevent them. Do what you can to stay in right standing with God, but when he leads you into a wilderness... Follow him. Because remember, Jesus didn't come out in the power of the Holy Spirit until first he had went through the wilderness. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfected, entire, and wanting nothing, which means lacking nothing. You're going to have what you really need. Remember all of the greats of scripture and the things that they went through that they endured. Abraham, Job, 
David, Paul, Jesus, all of the greats of Scripture. They loved God in spite of losing everything to prove that they loved God more than anything. Paul said this, I have counted it all as dung. Mm. It's not so hard to lose everything whenever you've already determined that it's all dung compared to gaining Christ. I had mentioned I listened to a Wilkerson sermon this week, and it kind of confirmed it you know, with a billion other things. But he was talking about um, when his granddaughter had passed away. Wilkerson had prayed early on when he was a young father that God would make sure that all of his kids and grandkids would make it into heaven. And when he prayed that prayer, God told him, he said, I'm going to honor that prayer, but I might have to do some hard things to make it happen. Are you willing to trust me? And of course, yes, of course I trust you. Fast forward many years later, his granddaughter is lying sick, dying, I believe, of cancer, if I remember right. He kept praying for her healing and for her deliverance. God tells him, I'm going to take her because there are some things coming in the future that you don't know, and I'm going to honor your prayer. I'm going to make sure she makes it in. She, he goes brokenhearted to go and visit the granddaughter, and before he can say anything, she's all excited. She says, Papa, Papa, Jesus came visit me. I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not coming out of this, but I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I don't want to hurt anymore, and I'm ready to go. And it's going to be good. He showed me some things. And that gave him encouragement. That gave him hope, her parents. And she died. Now, here is a man who was doing the work of God. Millions salvations lay on his faithfulness. And yet his granddaughter dies. God knows best. Her testimony has gone forth through every nation in the world. Her parents were preaching that message. Wilkerson was preaching that message. It has given a lot of hope to a lot of people. That you know, There is a scripture in the Bible that says that sometimes the righteous die because God knows what's coming in the future and he's sparing them from something worse than if they would have stayed. God knows what he's doing. To be able to worship God through those situations, to have that faith, to trust that he really does know best. Yes, difficult things happen to God's righteous, but you have to trust that God loves you enough that whatever he is allowing has a purpose. We all love that song, Though You Slay Me. Of course, it's taken from Job, but we've heard some of us, the testimony behind the song that the, the, the guys that wrote it, his mother was at the deathbed of his father. And, and you know, when he took his last breath and, and she was, she didn't know a whole lot, you know, she, she didn't, wasn't really raised much in church. She didn't know a lot of songs. She didn't know a whole lot of scripture. But in her frailty and in her weakness, she hugged her son. And the only thing she could utter was, though he slay me, yet will I worship, though he take from me. I will, I will praise his name. And that's the essence of where that song came from. She was quoting to the best of her ability in this moment of grief, this quote from Job. That was her praise. That was her worship. That was her declaration of faith that God knows best. God doesn't deliver us out of every single trial and tribulation, but he is always with us in the fire to help us through that situation. And because of that testimony, millions are encouraged daily by the song that came from it. There's always a message. God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't delight in suffering, but sometimes it's necessary. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We all know the story of Job and his faithfulness. Pass the hard test, and it will be more than just you that will be blessed. This is what Jesus meant when he said that unless the seed or the promise, the seed of faith, fall to the ground and die, it will abide alone. But if it does die and is resurrected, it will produce much fruit and it will bless others and keep growing and keep going. You see, the thing about receiving redemption through affliction is that you never receive it alone. You know, I can pray in my room to be healed and God can heal me and that's a blessing for me. But when God takes me through a journey, like he did with the Lyme's disease, and teaches me things, then countless others are blessed through me, through that situation. Because not only do they go through it with me, but they also receive the lessons that I learned from God 
by being willing to go with him through this fire. Others will be blessed if you are willing to go through the trials and the experiences. Why? Because afflictions produce humility, maturity, patience, wisdom, and above all, compassion. And compassion is the real seedbed of miracles. When Job prayed for his friends, he was saved. When Abraham prayed for Abimelech's wife's barrenness, his wife conceived. When Paul and Silas prayed for their jailer, they were freed. When Jesus prayed for his persecutors, he was finished. We know by many of us the story of Dalia Knox when she was healed at the, the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival out of her wheelchair. Well, she will tell you that she was not even focusing on her own ailment. She was praying for a baby to be healed, and she got her healing. Some of you have heard the story. You know, I had broken, crushed my foot really bad years ago, and uh, it was fused straight, couldn't wear heels, couldn't, had a little limp. And I was um, at a, a service when Danny was in Bible college, and I was so intent on praying for this man in this wheelchair. I, I just knew that God could help him to get up and walk. He was raising a daughter by himself, and I just had so much compassion for him having to, to struggle the way he was. And I just knew the faith was there to heal him, and, and he never got up. He never attempted. He, he was so worn out by the attempts, you know, over the years. And, and I went back to my seat kind of discouraged and didn't even realize till a few hours later that in the process my foot was healed. I can wear heels now, so you see it moves. <laughs> but the things you go through are really to build compassion in you. For example, Allison was texting me during the week, you know, going through things um, with some ministry she was trying to do. And, and she made the comment about, I had made a comment a week or two ago about when I was running the water line for the chickens. And I said, the whole time I'm trying to warn, run the water line for the chickens, they're pecking my fingers. And I'm like, this is like ministry. Like I'm trying to help them get the living water to them and they're attacking me. And she texted me and she was going through some ministry. She was like, I see what you mean about the chickens. I'm beginning to see that ministry is washing someone's feet while they slap your face. I said, no, actually, ministry is washing someone's feet when they're about to betray you. Because Jesus, when he washed the disciples' feet, he washed all of them. And this was only a few hours before the crucifixion. That means right. Judas was among them. All right. He knew what Judas was about to do, and he washed his feet too. So she said, I'm going to pray for you and Pastor Daniel a whole lot more. <laughs> her affliction produced compassion which then blessed not only her and her situation, but us, because now she's praying for others who are experiencing the same thing. And that's what afflictions do. God could make it easy, but then we'd never grow. Compassion is a Christ character. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and affliction is usually the way that we get it. What is compassion? Selflessness. Why did the Israelites go into captivity in the first place? because they had become selfish and compassionless. They were mistreating and enslaving the weakest among them. So God allowed them to experience it themselves, to humble them and to teach them compassion for the captive, to teach them why God says to do what he says and why he says to treat people the way that he says to, to turn them back to the truth, to produce good fruits, to allow the character of God to shine through them, to preach him. How many here, if we open the floor for testimonies, can say that they found redemption through affliction? I, I know most. We, we know the stories. We know the Terrells lost their kids, and that brought them back to Jesus, and God restored. We know Donnie had a stroke, and that saved him from alcoholism. God delivers. Ashley broke her back, and now she's in church. We all have stories. I went through sicknesses. There is redemption through affliction. Everyone has experienced this in some form or fashion because God is a good father who loves his children. So he pursues them, he corrects them. He does what he must to produce goodness in them. Your eternal soul is more valuable than your temporary wants. Holiness is more important than happiness. Sufferings do come, but take courage. Because the Bible tells us that even though sorrows may last the night, 
Joy comes in the morning, but only those who have come through affliction truly know this. So be tempered, be tried, be tested. Endure with grace, humility, thanksgiving, and patience, and you will be chosen and blessed beyond your comprehension. Isaiah 48.10, this is one you're going to want to highlight. Put this one on your shirt instead of the other one. This is more the conclusion than the beginning of the story. It says, Behold, I have refined thee. This is the Lord speaking. I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For mine own sake, even mine own sake, will I do it. Who will do it? He will do it. Sometimes God is the one who puts us in the furnace. For his own sake, he will do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory to another. This is so important. We all know that the Bible says that he won't share his glory with another. That's not what he's saying right here. He didn't say I won't share my glory with another. We know God gets all the glory. He says, I will not have my name polluted. In other words, they weren't purified. They weren't quite right. But at the same time, he says, I won't give my glory to another. What he's really saying is, I don't want to give my glory to somebody else. I have a purpose and a plan for you. I'm not giving up on you. You might be polluted now, but I'm going to purify you. I'm going to take you through this furnace of affliction. And I think that's the greatest encouragement and joy when you're really going through something. It's not to believe that, that you know, he can just get you out of it in an instant because he could, but to believe that he really wants you, that he really has a purpose, that he really has a destiny for you, and he is willing to stick it out and walk through that furnace with you to make sure that you're ready to possess that promise instead of just giving up and going to the next person. That's an encouragement. Real love chastises. Real love purifies. Real love endures. Real love will walk with you through the fiery furnace. You'll come out freer than you went in, and others will be blessed by your suffering and endurance. Trust him, trust the process, trust his love, and that he doesn't do anything without a purpose. God does not delight in suffering, but he does delight in those who are willing to follow him into any situation and keep demonstrating his greatness against all logic. That is the most miraculous manifestation of God's grace that anyone can ever hope to demonstrate. So God strengthen us. The reason you are going through the afflictions is not because God has abandoned you. It's because he has refused to give up on you or your purpose. He didn't give up on Israel in our example and he hasn't yet and he never will. And he hasn't given up on the church either. Trials and tribulations come but they have a purpose. You are meant to go through them, not settle in them or succumb to them. So be strengthened, be patient, be faithful, be perfected. So God, we come to you now and we thank you for this word. We thank you for this encouragement. Lord, even as you said to the church in Revelation that there were some who needed to be strengthened so that they wouldn't quit. Lord, for those that are in their furnace of affliction but aren't quite purified yet, let them be encouraged. Lord, that there is a purpose, that there is still a plan for them, that you haven't abandoned them, given up, or looked for somebody else to fulfill their mission, Lord, but that you are still perfecting, that you still desire to use them, that you still have a purpose and you will fulfill it. Lord, you are the one that brings us into our wildernesses. You are the one that sustains us in it. You are the one that leads us out of it. And you are the one that gets the glory for it. But we have to humble ourselves to you. We have to trust you. We have to praise you even when we don't want to. Lord, we need you. We offer a sacrifice of praise. Lord, we encourage ourselves in the Lord, as the psalmist says. Lord, we thank you for the things that you have taken us through. Because just like Moses, who had a purpose and a plan and a destiny, he thought he was ready for it, and he ran out and got blood on his hands because he misrepresented you before the Egyptians. So what did you do? You took him out into a personal wilderness. 
40 years to be humbled, to have experiences, to learn how to lead a flock. And then you took him back in to deliver yours and to lead them through their wilderness. Lord, you used him to bless others and you do the same for us. So Lord, help us to not be immature. Help us to have patience. Just like this message, you gave it, but it wasn't ready to be delivered until I went through the experience that could demonstrate it. Let us have patience to trust you through every process. And Lord, I thank you for the crowns and the rewards that are being earned by those who are willing to endure. Because there are rewards that are given for specific things in the scripture. And these are all crowns that we're going to be able to lay down at the feet of our king. And yes, we can run from the wilderness. We can run from affliction. We can run from the trial and the tribulation. We can run from the battles, but then we never get to see the victories. So Lord, we pray today for strength that the spirit of the Lord would come and impart might and wisdom. And we thank you for the revelation that you have given that can encourage us to keep on enduring because you do the miraculous in many ways. You heal in many ways. You deliver in many ways and you do it in your own timing because your ways are not our ways. They are higher than our ways, but they are perfect and we trust them and we praise you for them. Thank you for joining us today. This program was brought to you by HOWC Media Ministries. For more messages like this or information about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.